Hello and welcome to the R Foundations podcast. My name is Joshua and with me today is Peter Quinones. We are going to be discussing some of the topics that him and I have both separately been addressing on our respective podcasts. So we're getting into things related to uh, basically strategy going forward for gaining more freedom and having a more liberty mindset. And so the idea is, how do we actually make that happen? And so uh, Peter has been talking a lot about having a more Machiavellian strategy, a little bit about using local politics and some other topics of that nature. And I have been getting into things like agorism and examples of the original church as some of the parallels as well. And so we're going to be discussing these topics and these approaches. So to begin with, uh, could you go ahead and just say your overall stance as far as a overall macro level view of what you think the strategy should be heading forward? I think it should be everything and anything. <laughs> I think it should be agorism. I think it should be local politics. I think it should be um, wealth building. I think people should be farming. Um, I think anything possible. Um, the only thing that I would say to stay away from is national politics. Um, you, That is, believe me, I've seen people change their local government. I mean, literally take over their local government and change it and, and get things passed that give them more quote unquote liberty. Not what, you know, when you say liberty, everybody's like, well, it's that's not what I think of liberty. Well, everybody thinks of liberty on different levels. So, um, but I've seen people get, I mean, things decriminalized. So people aren't going to jail. I've seen people get, you know, traffic tickets, you know, quotas taken away and drastically reduced. Um, I've also seen people through agorism, one my, myself included, um, be able to save, you know, to save money to um, get crypto, be able to be able to stack sets, as they say. And basically, I've done a little bit of everything. And at this point right now, I think my goal after watching what happened in the last 17 months and talking about agorism last year and having myself set up where I'm, I perform agorist activities. Um, my friend Neocon Remover likes to say basically what agorism should be is I know a guy. And so now I'm at the point where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to get into some local politics and see what I can do, you know, and thing about it is, you know, I come from a libertarian background. I do not know that I really call myself a libertarian anymore. We've used the term post libertarian, which I think is anything post is going to be ugh, whatever. But, you know, I just think Machiavellian is a good term. And I just think I'm at the point now where like at the local level here where I live now, because I last time I talked to you, I lived right outside of Atlanta, basically in a town that used to be part of Atlanta. I don't live there anymore. I live in a small town now. Um, I moved to the middle. I, I moved to the Midwest and I'm in a, like a really small, small town where people mind their business. If someone's wearing a mask, no one says anything. If someone's not wearing a mask, no one says anything. And people just go about their business no crime, um, and just, you know, working on getting some local politics, uh, getting some local politics going and, um, trying to move the needle in that way, very much in the, the, 
the framework of Hans Hermann Hoppe's famous 1996 essay, What Must Be Done, and uh, going in that direction. So I don't, there are going to be people who just want to do agorism, 100% behind it. Um, But I actually think that um, at this point, politics is a little more important for if your goal is to free to like have a free area, to have a town, you know, to be in an area where there is some freedom, that's good. Agorism is definitely a way for individuals to free themselves. But if you want to go beyond that, if you are, believe you are of the calling of somebody who, you know, you know, maybe just has delusions of grandeur and would like to see other people, the people around you enjoy some liberty too, then, you know, that's, that's where I'm at right now. Okay. So you had mentioned that you had covered a lot on agorism, I guess, about a year ago. And I remember listening to some of your episodes and uh, really liked a lot of what you had to say and like a lot of what you have to say now as well. But um, there's obviously a shift from the, uh, you're pretty purely agorist at that point in time. And Mm -hmm. shifting forward, I think like a lot of us, we, we change, we evolve, we have new ideas and different approaches. Um, But is, is there anything in particular that drove that shift from more of a pure agorist outlook to something that's more Hans Hermann Oppa, like uh, local politics, more of the political Machiavellian approach? Sure. Uh, when I was talking about agorism, um, I wasn't 100% convinced in my mind that COVID tyranny was going to be as, har- as far-reaching as it is. Um, I didn't think that there were going to be cities like the, you know the the capital of the world, New York, that were going to have like um, mandates for you know if you want to shop, if you want to live, you're going to have to have vaccines and things like that. And I don't believe I believe that on the local level or by, on the individual level, sure you can you know you can get a vaccine card somewhere and be able to flash it and walk in wherever you want. It doesn't necessarily have to be real. You don't have to be a lab rat. Um, but as things have gone forward in the last year, I've realized that this is actually a political fight. And in, in order to actually really fight this on a not on a grand scale, because whenever I say a grand scale, people think nationally, but like locally to you. And, and I would just say up to your county level, um, politics is the way to go. And you know, like I said, individuals, I mean, agorism can free you of a lot. I mean, it can, you can make yourself, I mean, I've gotten to the point where this is what I do full time. So I don't have to leave the house if I don't want to. I can order everything off of Instacart. I don't, you know, you know, we have one car, my, my fiance and I have one car. My car died while I was moving here and everything. And um, so we have one car. It's, it hasn't been a burden at all. And um, yeah, now I'm looking to, okay, so I've got myself set up and everything, but I would like to, I have the, I'm of the kind of personality where maybe I'm just friggin' too, I think too big and I want to see other people um, enjoy it. And I also, well, we'll come to that. I'll talk to I'll talk about why and um, you know, what I think of the general public and 
why I think this will, why I think local politics will work. So, I mean, you can go ahead and you can, I mean, feel free to fight back, man. I mean, seriously, that's why we're here, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I, I, I would definitely oppose some of that. So, uh, number one, I was trying to think practically earlier today. I've got a few friends in situations where if they want to keep their job, it is fairly likely at this point, one in particular is almost guaranteed that they would have to get the shot. And that's something that these people are 100% not going to do. The reason, though, that it's such a big deal to them and the reason why a lot of people that I work with probably will cave is because people rely so heavily on their job. Their entire lives revolve around their job. That's how they get their insurance. That's how they get their income. They have no side hustle. They have no other plans. They don't generate any of their own food or income. And they're like 100% tied to that job. They lose that job and basically they're screwed. And so they need it. And so even if it means compromising something that they believe very strongly in, a lot of people feel forced, and in a lot of ways, they are forced. And I guess from my perspective, on one hand, you could say that you could go the political route and try to make exemptions available in these cases. Personally, I'm a little skeptical about how effective pushing policy is going to be, especially, like you mentioned, going federal is usually not very effective. And a lot of these mandates are coming from the federal level. So I've got, um, I'm part of a big local Agoras group where I am. And one of the guys in there works for a nursing home. And in this nursing home, they have been told that they will not receive federal funding if they have employees that are not vaxxed. And so he's in a pretty tough situation there. And one of the main reasons is because he needs that job. And I, I think he'll give up the job before he would get the shot. But you know, obviously, that's going to be tough. And so I guess where I'm going with this is that, number one, policy on this example is going to be really tough to do, especially since it's mostly federal. You'll have some states that rebel, I'm sure, and go different ways. But in general, most areas are going to have a hard time fighting that aspect from a political aspect. But if why? people do have... Why? Um, because... Because it seems to me like the majority of the U.S. does not have it in them to go against the mainstream narrative. It doesn't. The majority majority of people have never driven politics. It's always been a strong minority, well-funded minority that has a fire in their belly to get things changed. And to be able to move people in power. One of the best ways to move people in power is to actually own those people. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I guess when I look at that and I look at those kind of power movers behind the scenes that would be in that position of a very strong and influential minority, it seems like there already is an extremely strong and influential minority that basically we would be going up against and trying to outfund. And although on a local level, that does make a little more sense as far as being effective, but on a larger level, a macro level, more national, um, that does seem pretty difficult. And especially you've mentioned COVID tyranny. A lot of these COVID things are being pushed from a national level. So if you're not lucky enough to have a state that's going to fight that, then it seems pretty tough. And if it's only a few counties or a few local governments 
then either they'll let it slide and you have a few tiny minority places in the U.S. that are free from that, or they don't let it slide and that gets forced and that's not pretty either. So like you say about wanting the kind of the maximum amount of freedom for the majority of people and spreading that to others so that we can all enjoy this idea of liberty, this ideal, um, it seems like it might be easier for people to fight that battle if they do have some backup. And that could be backup in the form of other job opportunities that are outside of the system or side incomes that are coming in or a group of agorists in their local community that will come in and support them, all of these types of things. And so I know you can do both of those at the same time, but we live in a world of a a static roughly amount of resources that will be spent in a given period of time. Those resources can either be divided between the two or go the political route or go the agorist route. And so... In my mind, um, it's kind of like uh, the idea of archotropism. You've had that guy on, I forget his name, um, who's talked about Arco. Andrew? Yeah. Yeah. So um, he's talked about that, about how there's a fixed amount of power and there are shifts in who controls that power, but the, the amount of power, the total value of power stays the same. And I do agree with him on that. And so the goal obviously, I think, from our perspective, both of us, would be to shift some of that power from the current political elite to people that are more liberty-minded, whether that be more on a a scale of the masses kind of a thing, or whether that be a small vocal minority that's liberty-minded. Either way, we want to shift that power to people that have a more liberty-focused perspective. And so I guess where I'm going with all this is that if I have or say my community has about a million dollars to dump into something to push the needle towards liberty, in my mind, that will make an impact on local politics. Yes. However, if I think about the amount of impact a million dollars to a county level of agorists, how big of an impact that would be and how many opportunities that would bring into others in the area... To me, that's at least theoretically close to the same with it. It at least seems to me there'd probably be a lot less pushback from the feds, from the state, from other people, because you have people just, you know, homeschooling their kids or uh, working construction jobs that aren't maybe not on the books or, you know, 3D printing things for people or, you know, running content producing options like podcasts and books and whatnot. So it seems to me like that would be a very effective use of that limited amount of resources and that limited amount of power. And if that power were shifted to the agorists versus more freedom-minded politicians, it just seems that on a ground level, that might be more helpful to most people in a given community. What would you think about that? Okay, so the... Hmm. What you're saying, I believe what you're saying is, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to Kathy Newman you, is that, I mean, if you're in like a blue state, a heavily blue state, and, you know, local politics could possibly be, you don't see local politics as being the, being able to do anything, but you're going to build, you'd rather put all your focus into agorism. Um, Do you think that, 
the state would be more apt in a blue state to crack down on agorists, or do you think they'd be more apt to do it in a red state? So personally, I would think that in a blue state or a red state, they'd be more apt to crack down on political opposition than, let's say, gray man agorism something that's not really in your face and flaunted, just people doing their own thing voluntarily. You you don't think that when I was selling bootleg DVDs in Buckhead, Atlanta, that the police didn't know what I was doing? I'm sure they very well might have. Yeah, because you know why? Why is that? Because they were some of my best customers. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, you can... It's not black and white. It's like you said, it's very, it's very gray and politics is very gray too. things that you can get away with. You should probably a good thing to do would probably be to interview some people who've been involved in local politics, people who've been elected to local positions. School board's a great one because that's where you're going to see like the worst, the worst of the worst. You know, I mean, the people, um, I mean, people just clawing for every federal dollar, things like that. Um, I think that in states like where I am, which is technically there's Republican governor, but he's a he's deep state. I mean, he was a a um, a representative, a national a, um, congressman in in the 2000s. So yeah, he's embedded and he he's pretty terrible and everything. But around here, people hate him. They are willing to push back against him. Um, and what I know from my study and especially talking to Michael Bolden at the 10th Amendment Center, we mm-hmm. tend to we, we tend to believe that like the federal government has unlimited funds. They can just print money if they want. Well, that's not true. The DEA can't get all the money they want. Um, I've said this on on a lot of podcasts recently. I'll repeat it. Um, Michael Bolden told me that the DEA's budget in 2014, 2015 would not have allowed in that fiscal year them to bust every marijuana dispensary in Los Angeles County once. So they're very limited in what they can do. Now imagine what a state budget looks like. Then imagine what a county budget looks like. They don't have printing presses. You know, they they can't print money. Um, and even if nationally, like say, they wanted to make an example out of some small town where some, you know, a bunch of like little small L libertarians took over the government. We're dismantling everything. We're making the public schools private. Um, the only people that could vote in the town were taxpayers uh, and landowners, and no government employee or former government employee could vote. Did something like that. Um, they would need federal. Always needs the cooperation of local. And if they don't get the cooperation of a local and they actually get pushback, they're not going to go in. I mean, I, I talked about this recently when the ATF went into Waco. They the reason they were pretty much able to go into Waco and do what they want is they didn't in, they didn't inform local law enforcement what they were doing. Sheriff Harwell had no idea what was going on when he was called. I mean, the Davidians called 911. Yeah. I've heard so that they didn't. Yeah. 
so they had sharp sheriff harwell had no idea what was going on um imagine how differently that would have went if the atf had um cooperation of sheriff harwell and the local police it they probably would have that probably wouldn't have even been a shootout they would have just probably contacted him and said hey look you know these guys are coming in you just lay everything down but it was a surprise so it's like all right someone comes in shooting first you're going to start shooting live for you know and fight for your life um i think one of the main problems people have is and it's not a problem it's just it's a blind spot is when you start talking about political action everybody because we've become such a so reliant everything is national politics everything is on the federal level um, as soon as you start talking about any using any political uh, power, people automatically think, "Oh, well, you're gonna, well, you're gonna join the GOP with blood-soaked monsters." It's like I'm not really sure that the people around here in the GOP are blood-soaked monsters. I don't think you know, maybe a couple of them fought in the wars, but I don't think they're the ones that like fought for the wars. You know, so, yeah. um, and I think that a lot of people just don't understand local politics, what you can do. Um, when Hans Hermann Hoppe wrote what must be done in 1996, and he was talking about this strategy of basically using the most local government, there were already towns in California who had prohibited anyone who wasn't paying taxes or any anybody who wasn't paying taxes was collecting welfare or wasn't a property owner from voting on anything locally. And most people don't know that. Imagine in 1996, if people would have taken Hans's, um, his plan seriously and started doing that all over the country. And, you know, you would start in the most red spot. You'd probably start in some town in Wyoming, you know, something like that, something in North Dakota. And then you bring it into the Midwest and then you just bring it down to like New Mexico or New Hampshire. God, can you imagine if they would have done that in New Hampshire instead of the free state project, (laughs) they would have just went, they would have went at that right away. Um, it's amazing what what the country could look like in different pockets. But everybody has this idea that everything has, if it's not done nationally, you know, if you're going to do that locally, they're going to storm in and they're going to kill you. They don't have that power. You know, they don't have, they don't have the, they don't have the money. They don't have the resources to do it. They just don't. And what do they care? What do they care if you have this little libertarian? I mean, look at what um what, what the hell was the name of that thing that they did up in Oregon? Wild Country. The um the the followers of Osho took over that town and everything. Um, um they were able to take over that town because they went in there with numbers and they were just able to take over. I, I imagine if that, that was libertarians. I mean, it was a bunch of psychopaths. And things got really out of hand. But if it was a bunch of libertarians, I mean, I've written articles about how to do this. You know, you just and you know, sure you can get some pushback and everything. You might get some pushback, but as long as you're not flaunting it, as long as you're not advertising what you're doing, as long as you're not there with you know two two middle fingers up to the state or to even your county, if you're doing it on the local level. I mean, what is? Uh, I mean, I just don't see how it doesn't work, especially when you consider that most people are just friggin' sheep. They're just going to follow. 
So one of my worries would be that you'd have the cathedral and the Church of Woke could easily, uh, for example, the the example that you gave about um, uh, basically limiting voting rights, that could very easily be demonized to the masses where you could turn so many of these, as you refer to sheep-like people, against that cause politically and then that makes it pretty hard to make a political change if most people are against you and the the media probably has a lot more influence than even a well-funded liberty-minded person so i guess that's kind of my worry is that if we're focused on that that there are some more issues and hurdles to overcome aside from just the federal government i think i'm with you that Federal government probably isn't your main issue. And I would also agree that you could accomplish good things through local politics. Um, the, I guess the bigger issue for me would be that you'll change this one thing and you'll change this one other thing. And it's very slow to go, very slow to move forward. Uh, typically, you'll probably just start swinging things more towards the left and away from the current liberal agenda, the kind of woke agenda which is uh, heading in the right direction. Totally agree. And any amount of liberty that's beyond what we have now is wonderful. Um, so I guess the example that, that comes to me is one that you mentioned earlier with the school system. And so I work fairly closely with my local school system and have some people in my Agoras group that have tried to go to school board meetings and uh, influence some of the policy and discussions there and bring up very well-founded issues and explain them very articulately and uh, try to go that route. And that has been extremely unsuccessful. They've been very discouraged going that route. I know some school board members and it, number one, it seems unlikely to make major change. But even if you do, it's on one thing. Maybe you'll get X concept out of the curriculum, or maybe you'll do a little bit more towards school choice, or maybe you'll introduce um, an economics class because they don't teach that anymore in high school or, you know, whatever. You'll get something and that's good and you can do that. But compared to uh, pulling kids out and building out a large, well-funded, well-run homeschooling system with a lot of resources for parents to onboard them onto that, it, it, to me, it's like like the Reformation. You know, Martin Luther wanted to reform the Catholic Church. And, you know, if we just make these few changes here, here, and here, where corruption has crept in and they're wrong, then everything will be better and the church will be all good again. And, you know, that, that wasn't very realistic. And uh, even though he tried that, he changed his mind later. But with the Reformation, you had some major change. And not that that went perfectly or anything, but it, it's kind of the same deal here where you have a current system that most of us would agree is ineffective, inefficient, and uh, headed in a direction against liberty. You know, the cathedral, um, academia, there are some major connections there with that intellectual class. And it, it does seem very difficult to change that on a local level through things like the school board and local governors and people like that, versus if you actually build out that alternative system and create an alternative for people so they don't feel so stuck 
maybe even start some sort of welfare system. Uh, I guess that's kind of a, a catchy word there that most people don't like, but um, a charity system, maybe um, something where let's say there is a couple that can't afford to pull their kids out of school because they can't afford to send them to a private school or pay for daycare or not work two jobs, that kind of thing. And you know, maybe some of that money that we're talking about, these resources going towards pushing liberty, would go towards helping people in a situation like this or helping them in between jobs as they shift into something a little more outside of the system instead of a job where they are going to be subject to a lot more of these regulations. It just, to me, it seems like when I really look at it on a ground level, my local county, my local schools, my local government, local regulations, it does seem that direct action by individuals and individuals having alternative options uh, seems to be much, much more effective and realistic than the slow progress of slightly moving the needle, slowing down the agenda. I mean, that, that, that doesn't take you to where you want to go anytime fast. Um, might not take you there at all. But yeah, so that's kind of where I'm stuck here, where I, I do see that there can be effective things with uh, pushing that more Machiavellian political local strategy. However, compared to building out alternative systems, it doesn't seem like much of a comparison and they seem equally realistic. And even if you say they're equally effective, one is a lot more ideal than the other. And so that's more where I would go to. And like you say, people are sheep. I would say that you know, I've done some episodes on the natural order of things. And one of those principles is hierarchy, that humanity is just naturally inclined to some sort of hierarchy. I know you've talked about how people follow leaders. And that's a very good point. Uh, sorry, a very good point. And so with that, if there is an alternative system, an alternative movement that's actually going somewhere, and you have friends, colleagues, people you know, that are actually moving their kids out of school, to stick with that example, and you see this homeschooling community growing and you're hearing really good things about it, like that just seems like that attracts more of these people searching, these people that want a leader, they want direction, they want to be told a good way to go and a good way to raise their children, and that should draw them, the, the masses, the sheep, if they're following something like this, it seems like that would draw a decent amount of people at least if that existed in a, a a powerful way, a way that does have some of that power on this alternative system side, uh, versus trying to uh, rally support around you know these pro liberty movements on the political side, but doing that just tiny little shifts at a time. Uh, does that make sense? My goal isn't to tweak the education system and the public school system. My goal is to own privately okay that it's my property and i do with it what i want that would be nice i I would totally agree and so i guess that does shift me to uh something else i wanted to bring up and that would be the current shift going into a more technocratic system that we live under compared to how we've been for the past say 100 years or so and the technocracy is run by more privatized hands not as much by the government. And so this is where I would give a little pushback against something you've said about uh, ideology. You don't seem to be a huge fan of including ideology and strategy. And I do understand that, especially from a Machiavellian perspective. 
Um, and I would agree with some of that. However, without that aspect and without having ideology, morality, ethics that are guiding the direction that you are going, then to me, you end up with just pure technocracy, a world that's completely privatized, but completely run on what is most effective and what is most efficient for the minority in charge. And even if you are that minority in charge for a short amount of time, history shows that the same minority is not in charge for long periods of time. Um, and especially not when their goal is liberty for the masses. That doesn't seem to last very long. And that seems to be a big struggle. And so, yeah, that's, that's kind of my issue where, yes, it would be wonderful to own the school system, have that be completely private, funded by you know willing customers. But look at how the aspects that truly are free market in our current economy, you know, not all of them are, most of them may not be, but there are some. You know, how many people do you know that will rail against Amazon and Jeff Bezos, but then will get on their computer and order 50% of the things they buy on Amazon? And it's like, they have a free will choice not to support something that they totally don't agree with, but they still make that choice, probably, you know, marketing, propaganda, convenience, that kind of thing. But it's all pushed towards or it's all pushed from this privatized perspective of just making things efficient and effective, which is good to an extent. But without ideology, that can lead to some pretty dark places. And that's kind of what I worry about, is that if we go full anarcho-capitalism, for example, which I would say is probably going to be better than our current system, I definitely totally agree with that. But if you go totally that route, it seems that without the ideology without, let's say, religion, you do end up with a more Machiavellian technocracy type outlook, which is long term, not always very good for liberty. And even if the people are still given 100% free will, that free will is then typically manipulated through deceit and propaganda and things like this to get the masses in line with what's best for the small elite at the top running these privatized companies and such. So that's kind of my worry is that if we go the full privatization route, um, that looks pretty dystopian too. And so, uh, so you're I have worried a hard it's gonna time. Be like, you're, you're worried it's going to be like it is right now. I yeah, I would worry it's even worse than it is right now. You, you realize probably- you realize that every criticism of private of a private society of a private culture is a criticism of the status quo. Yes. Yes. Totally agree. Yep. Yeah, and so again, I would but say somehow that, that you would think, be somehow you think that like it, having impressive elites, people in the community that are looked to as leaders anyway in a natural hierarchy, you think that would be worse than having people who are elected and just have a monopoly on violence? No, definitely not. So I guess where I would uh, parse that would be that I believe that in let's say, anarcho-capitalist society or something along that lines in that vein, I think that that would be much better than the statist environment that we live under now and where that statist environment is headed. I actually think we're actually headed more towards a technocracy than further statism. But either way, I would say that we'll say anarcho-capitalism greater than, better than statism, definitely, by far. But anarcho-capitalism looking at it from a very realistic perspective, keeping history in mind and 
how the business world operates. Even, heck, you can go all the way back to the Medici's or all the way up to big tech. It doesn't matter how far you go. Yes, there's that incorporation with the state. And I do think the state's always going to exist to some degree, to some extent, probably more locally than nationally. But either way, just making things, I guess, private and ran by impressive elites that probably do make things much better than they are today, that still does not get anywhere close to an ideal or a utopia or something that... Uh, grants liberty to all the people in that system by any stretch of the imagination. So Nobody's to me, yes, that. that's no, no. But when you compare two options, and I don't believe one people would are be, equal. I don't. I, I believe that some people are better than others. I don't have. I, I'm not an egalitarian. I think egalitarianism is probably one of the reasons why 500 billion, uh, um, half a billion people were killed in the 20th century by their own governments was probably one of the biggest reasons. Um, I, I do want to go back to something you said that I think is very important is the, the fact of morality and the fact of religion. And that's why I believe that Hans Hermann Hoppe is probably the most important person to read and to look to when it comes to suggestions like this, because he understands that. And he's not scared to say it. And that's why so many libertarians hate him, because so many libertarians think that libertarian means libertine. And that's not what it means at all. Mm -hmm. um, you have to have some sense of morality. You have to have some sense of culture. You have to have some sense of cohesiveness. Um, yeah, I just when you look at like people talk about society, like um, there's a popular phrase that a lot of ANCAPs like to use. Oh, what would an anarchist society look like? I think that that's a terrible phrase because society is just a bunch a group of people, um, you know, living, sharing the same land, sharing the same area. Um, I think an anarchist culture is probably way more important to have the kind of cohesiveness and the kind of bond that you would need in order to, um, you know, like I look at the town I live in right now and I don't see the like everyone coming together, even if I were to be able to do with the local government with what I what I want. Um, I would strongly encourage those at some point if if I was if I had any kind of sway, if I had any kind of um, influence to break off and do their own thing and to break down even further Um you know, Hoppe's whole idea was, I, I don't think Hoppe ever, I mean, he talks about anarcho-capitalism, but he's, when he talks about what could possibly be done in the world today, he's talking about like 10,000 Liechtensteins throughout the United States. We have 10,000 city states, for lack of a better term. Yeah, I'm, we're never going to get rid of the government. I mean, there's always going to be people who are going to want a government. There's always going to be a demand for the services. Um, it's just a matter of how those services are handled. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking this morning, I don't even remember what, where I was. I think I was probably um, editing or something like that. And I just had this idea. I'm like, yeah, I mean, if you had a town where you say, say you had the town that like, the community that Elon Musk wanted to be a part of just be like, you know, everybody's like, well, how are we going to protect ourselves and everything? And just be like, Elon come up with some kind of short range EMP or some kind of short range laser ray 
that is surrounds the town. And if anybody comes to attack us, just unleash it. That is not outside the realm of possibility. I mean, I've heard about these, um, that on the Rockies facing out into the Pacific, they had all this anti, anti-missile technology that was basically lasers. And so we're not out, we're not um, outside of the realm of possibilities. And when you get it down to the point where it's somebody's, somebody's relying upon their self preservation over a military contract, who knows what the hell people are going to come up with on a private level. Um, I think that I think I hear everything you're saying and I hear, you know, the homeschool thing is great. And I mean, I love people that homeschool, but the fact is, is that we shouldn't have to, no one should really have to, people should only do it if they want to. And yeah, I 100% am behind it. Uh, But, you know, then I look last year uh, in 2020 in the summer and the people who for the last 40 years, have been screaming about the Department of Education and how it needs to be abolished and how public schools are just turning your kids into prog- into progressives that you're going to want to put you on boxcars in 10 years or something like that. Well, these same people fought to send their kids back to school last year. And there, were, there was a, a rise in homeschooling. But I think that they're going to, the government at this point can, the national government, because of the Department of Education, can wear these people down to the point where they can just, I think a lot of these people are probably struggling financially. They don't, they haven't thought about pods where, you know, that you have one person who in in a neighborhood who's homeschooling and has, you know, has all the videos and everything. And then, you know, 10 or 12 kids can go to that house instead of, uh, you know, that person just educating their kid. They haven't thought about these things. And I think that, most people have been trained to want to somehow, you know, they, they bought into the socialization thing. Oh, if my kids are around other kids, they'll be socialized. They don't realize they're learning how to be violent and do drugs and stuff. I mean, yeah, I learned how to do drugs in public school. I never did drugs outside of school um, up until a certain point. And I believe that there, I believe you we're, we have to build not only systems outside of the system, but privatize what looks like the system. And that's what people, what people will be attracted to. I think you almost have to trick them. You almost have to trick them into believing that, you know, that that, not believing this is better because it would be better. I mean, a totally privatized school. I mean, if I owned a school system, you'd be learning, the kids would be learning the trivium when they could talk. Yeah. You know? So yeah, yeah, I just don't see, well, good. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. I was going to say that does, that does remind me of the Agoras group that I'm a part of. We've been trying to push a plan for outreach for the community. And we do want to spread these ideas of, you know, anything from homeschooling to gardening, to 3d printing, to natural health, all, all these kinds of things that are related. And, our approach, we're actually currently in the process of starting a website for this, but our approach is not to push agorism to the public. It's not to push anarchy to the public. It's to push 
alternative systems or natural health or sustainability, you know, use the buzzwords against them kind of a thing. And it reminds me of what you said about, you know, kind of tricking people into, hey, this is actually what you're trying to get to. You know, that's kind of our approach as well from a marketing angle is to say, hey, you want to grow some of your own food and eat more healthy? We can help you with that. And, you know, hey, do you want to, do you have some problems with the education system and how things are going? Well, hey, come to this seminar and you'll, you'll just hear about what homeschooling has to offer and what different options are and privatized options and things like pods and things of that nature. And so, yeah, I, I would totally agree that having that, I guess, marketing plan of how to spread these ideas, it does have to be toned down. And uh, yeah, I don't think saying, you know, anarchism, anarcho-capitalism, agorism, libertarianism even, those uh, probably would not be nearly as effective. Sure. And I guess one of the things that bothers me about agorists and when they talk about the language that they use to describe it and this language that I used is you're always on the defensive. You're either always on the defensive or you've done an absolute retreat. I, that's just not me. That's just not who I am. You know, I'd rather win. I'd, I'd rather win, even if it's a small skirmish. Even if it's a small skirmish of you know a couple that you know um you know, twenty square miles or something like that. Um, I would rather do that than feel like I'm hiding. You know, like I'm in. You know, like it, when you're in Soviet Russia or something, and you got somehow you got something on the black market and you needed to hide it and everything like that. That's not the way I want to live. And you know, I'd rather, you know, maybe this is just me, maybe hubris on my part is I'd rather like be able to accomplish something and have make a difference in as many people's lives as possible. And you know, the reason I want to, I mean, that's just, I know that if I do that, it's going to make a difference in my life as well. You know, I've already taken every pretty much precaution to, I could freaking hide. I mean, I could literally hide. I could um, just do the podcast, do my writing, and only leave to go to the grocery store and maybe go to a conference every once in a while. That could be my life and I'll be, I'll be happy. But I mean, I just don't, that's not who I am. Yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people don't understand is, especially agorists, and I'm talking about like serious agorists, the ones who are like, you know, Konkin is God, and if Konkin, I'm not going to go against anything Konkin ever said. Um, I, there's no criticisms of Konkin that, that are consistent. Um, I, I just think that they don't understand that there are people out there with personalities that are different. I mean, I've actually heard an agorist say that, you know, you know, agorism is going to bring freedom. And once people, once the majority of people feel that freedom, they're going to want to, they're going to want to taste it. And I'm like, if the last 17 months has taught me anything, it's that the majority of people don't want to taste freedom. You're going to have to convince them. You're going to have to basically almost brainwash them into believing that this way we're going to do it now. This is the best way to do it. And don't even call it liberty. Don't even call it freedom. Just that this is the way we're going to do it. You know, I mean, that's what basically the founders did. You know, they said, okay, this is the way we're going to do it. I mean, they screwed up, but it doesn't mean that we have to. We can learn. I mean, we learn from everything that came before us, you know, to not make those yeah. mistakes again, you know, not to rely on paper. You know, if when the, 
when the local town elders meet or whoever the impressive elites and everything, when they go to have a meeting, well, maybe have the, maybe have some secondary elites with their backs against the wall, pointing guns at them. You know, I'm, I don't know. I'm just saying, you know, that to me, you know, people talk about, people ask me, well, how would government work? I'm like, well, government only works if every time they get together, there are people on with their backs to the walls, pointing rifles at the room at them in the room. That's the way it works. You know, I mean, they, and then they can go and try and buy off some of those people uh, pointing the rifles, but then you, know, you have a couple principled people who can just turn the rifle on those people. I mean, this is literally, this is literally how, this is understanding power. This is understanding the desire for power. And I think that is where not only agorists don't get it, but libertarians don't get it. And libertarianism has just missed it. And I think that's why, you know, my goal is I want every libertarian to start reading Hoppe because Hoppe actually is the one guy who really understands power and writes about power. And until you get an idea, until you understand like what Burnham, you know, what um, everyone he wrote about in his books, especially in the Machiavellians, what they feel about power and what they're, um, what their take on it is that ide- ideology and and power are just complete opposites, and they have no time for ideology. Well, I mean, I think Hop is the one person who, when he talks about the way forward, understanding power and being able to inject a little bit of ideology in here and there. And so I, I was there was somebody. I saw a question the other day on Facebook. I talked about this on a previous episode. So who's a bigger statist, Rothbard or Hoppe? Oh, Hoppe all the way, Hoppe all the way. Mm -hmm. Because Hoppe Hoppe understands you're not going to get rid of the state. So you're going to have to figure out a way to, if if you're going to do his plan, you're going to be working with the state and you're going to be looking to privatize everything. And yeah, I mean, libertarians love to be, I mean, libertarian, when you look at like the, so you got Democrats and Republicans, what is, what is their ideology? Who the hell knows? You know, it's like, there's no coherent ideology throughout it. Then when you get into libertarianism, well, it's the non-aggression principle and everything. Well, that's pretty bad if you want to seize power and try to wield it. But then libertarianism has this like in-depth ideology where, you know, you have to read all these books and you have to get the ideology. And, you know, well, the Republicans and the Democrats pretty much run everything and they don't have a coherent ideology, if any at all. So you're probably, the libertarians are probably closer to the Greens and the Democratic Socialists because they are the ones that have ideologies. And oh, by the way, um, yeah, the Greens have no power. And the democratic socialists, for all their blustering, have no power. It's the neoliberal center, the Democrats and the Republicans that have all the power. So what do you do? Well, you can run, you can hide, and that's fine. You know, I mean, even Yarvin talks about it. Curtis Yarvin talks about, you know, at this point, you know, living like you're in, like you're in an occupied land, like you're being occupied by an outside force, which we pretty much are when it comes to federal. Um, so you can do that and everything, but that's not, not everybody's going to have that personality. So for the people who don't have that personality, I've never talked somebody, I've had agorists 
just absolutely attack me for wanting to do political action. Show me anywhere where I've shit on it, where I've, I, I, I don't think agor. I'm not going to stop somebody. I'm not going to tell somebody you're completely wrong for doing agorism. I'm just not going to, because I believe everything helps and everything gets us by. And every, you know, especially at a time like this, especially at a time like the last 17 months. Yeah. Um, my problem with the agorists is, is they're just attacking people who are trying to do other things. And to honestly, to believe that agorists sound more utopian than probably anyone that I've ever met. I mean, the, the, the Konkanite, the, the real adherence to Konkanism, where it's going to be like, oh, it's going to get to the point where agorism is just going to take over. And then there'll be little pockets of statism right here and there. And it's like, no, I think that there's a better chance that you're going to have little pockets of agorism, you know, and, and like Aaron from front, uh, from Timeline Earth says, he goes, the greatest thing about taking over, about a libertarian taking over the local government is they can run interference for the agorists. Hey. <laughs> you can say, hey, the agorists can do whatever those people over there, leave them the hell alone. You know, and we're not going to do anything. We're not going to, if they're selling weed, fine. You know, I mean, obviously we're going to try to, we're going to make weed legal, uh, weed legal and have stores and everything like that. But, you know, if, and I would, in my perfect scenario, maybe a 1% tax so that we can do, keep something, something like that. Um, and you, then you don't have to use it you, or you can pay no, no tax or whatever, you know, just whatever the fuck you want to do. I mean, but to believe that no one could do that. I mean, you have people living basically free. I know people who have never, since this whole, all started, they live in places where they've never had to wear a mask. They've gone into grocery stores and no one's wearing a mask. No one's taking it seriously. It, if that's true, local politics can work in a bunch of places. Maybe it's not going to work in, in the Bronx. It's probably not going to work in the Bronx. Um, it's probably not going to work in friggin', um, you know, somewhere in Brooklyn. It's probably not going to work in Los Angeles. Um, maybe, who knows? You know, Los Angeles is pretty blue, but once you start getting outside of Los Angeles, it actually turns pretty red pretty quick. Um, but I just don't, um, I don't have a problem with people doing agorism. It's just that I think that that is basically just a temporary measure to get by. And what are you going to do about the permanent? I mean, do you want, you want your kids, you want your kids to be agorists? You know, do you want them to have to teach their grandkids how to be agorists? Yeah. Ideally they don't have to be. Let some people. Let's let some people work on changing the changing the system, at least at the most local level and um, see if you can get some some liberty. I mean, when you look at towns like um, I mean, look what Denver did with mushrooms, you know, decriminalizing mushrooms. Well, now there's liberty for people to start a business doing that. Nobody's going to jail for it. Um, there are little towns all over the country where they've decriminalized weed where, yeah, le- weed's not legal, but they're not going to arrest you for it. They may give you a ticket. And I think it's $25 or $50 tickets a lot better than going to jail. Um, yeah, things can, things can be, things can move in a positive direction. I mean, 
And there's, you know, and then somebody always has to bring up, well, they're just going to elect another politician and that politician is going to shut that down and everything. It's like, yeah, well, for that three or four years, people didn't go to jail. Okay. Yeah. You shitting on that? You think they should have just left it alone and have three or four years of filling up jails with people on possession charges? I don't think people think about this. People... I think a lot of liberta- people who are libertarian leaning and people who are hardcore libertarians, they're so caught up in their ideology and their ideology is so rigid. And you know, the, the phrase, the terminology that I've come up with is people living in Ancapistan in their head, that they don't understand that g- going to a local voting booth and hitting no on something could change th- thousands of people's lives or just one. If one law gets repealed or if one tax doesn't go through, but then I would, you'd be a status because you voted and you're justifying the system. Like it's not, or you're legitimizing the system. Like it doesn't have, like you voting is legitimizing it. I think you're giving yourself way too much credit and you think way too much of yourself. I am going to cut us off here and stop this first half of the interview with Pete Quinones and pick this up next week with the second half of our interview. Obviously, as you can tell, Pete and I have some different views on some things, but overall, we have very similar views on what the goal is and what some of these options are as far as methods go. I think our main disagreement would be in what is the most effective and realistic and practical strategy moving forward. And so that's kind of the whole point of having this discussion. So hopefully you're enjoying it. I will, again, release the second half of this interview next week. I had said before that I wasn't going to do another interview in the near future, but this just ended up working out very well, given that I've been talking a lot about agorism and putting these things into practice. And I think the way that I've been describing it has been a little different than a lot of other people discussing agorism as a whole. And at the same time, Pete has been discussing how agorism is probably not the best strategy and has been focusing more on the strategy of local politics and a Machiavellian perspective and getting away from pure ideology and the Libertarian Party and lots of things along those lines. And so it just seemed like it made a lot of sense to go ahead and have this discussion where we compare and contrast these two different strategies and approaches, and I pick his brain a little bit about it, and he can give me some pushback on some of the things that I have to say about it. And so I thought that would be very fitting, given where we are in season three of this show. And moving forward, we can just continue on after this interview and continue on with where we were headed. I would definitely like to say thank you to Freeman Fundamentals, who is the newest patron for the show, pitching in some financial support for this podcast. Thank you very much. I really do appreciate that very much. I also had another patron comment as he had me on his radio show and we talked briefly and afterwards he commented about how I didn't have a higher tier than $8 a month. Well, In my mind, why would anybody want to give more than $8 a month? But maybe some people do, and that's something that they are interested in. So maybe I will put a third tier that's for people that are, you know, 
extra generous and definitely wanted to support even more and want some more content, uh, maybe I will make that available. I think you can do one-off donations both on Subscribestar and on Patreon, and you can always send crypto in any amount that you desire whenever you desire. So there are those options, but I might make another tier if there's some demand for that. And if so, and people take it, then you will get some sort of additional perk that I have not thought of yet. So we'll figure that out if I end up pursuing that and I will update you on that. But thank you just for listening to the show. Thanks for spreading this podcast and these ideas to others around you. Hopefully I have been able to add to what you are trying to learn, what you're trying to implement in your own life, some different ideas that you can compare and contrast to things that you already have in your own head. So hopefully this is really helpful for you. I'm getting some good feedback on this season as a whole. If you have specific feedback on this interview with Pete Quinones, that might be extra interesting since I know we do have an overlap of listeners and he does have some good arguments for his position and his strategy and some of the episodes he's done on his show more recently have gotten more in depth into that. So I definitely would be interested in hearing your opinions and some feedback on that. Feedback is always probably my number one thing that is most helpful for the show. So continue sending that to me. Uh, Also, random thing, I'm probably putting in a t-shirt order sometime in the relatively near future. So I will definitely keep you updated on that. Post some pictures on Twitter and Patreon and Subscribestar so you can see them. And anybody that wants merchandise and is at the, I think it's the $8 a month level of support, then you get a free piece of merchandise of your choice. So if that's something that you want to claim because the new shirts are just going to be that cool, then feel free to do so. If you just want one or you want to buy one, then let me know. Feel free to email me. So that is coming up. I think that is everything that I have. So thank you very much for your support of all kinds. Leave a rating and review if you can and haven't done so already. And with that, I'm out. Peace. This has been our Foundations Podcast. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye-bye.